Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we have a fantastic treat because we have a guest author who I actually met through doing, I sort of moderated a panel about Paranormal YA for SCBWI SoCal. And you can find that panel on YouTube. But more importantly, getting to our author, we have Chris Can with us today. So welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. Yes, I'm very excited. After the panel, I was like, wow, podcast has to happen. And here we are. So let's just get into it. So Chris is an author. She writes lots and lots. She's got like a lot of books. So I'm not going to try to name them all, but you'll hear them coming up. And then afterwards, everyone can go look up Chris's stuff. And there you go. So how did you even get into becoming a writer? Why were you like, this is what I'm going to do? Well, it's kind of funny because in 2007, there was a Hollywood writer strike. And oh, that yeah. meant for 14 weeks, there was really nothing on television except repeat. So I spent a lot more time reading, and that's when Rochelle Mead came out with Vampire Academy, and Cassandra Clare came out with Mortal Instruments, and I found Rachel Kane's Morgan Bill Vampires, and I read those paranormal YA books, and they just spoke to me. And I was like, I think I want to try to do this. I think I could do this, because those authors got so much deeper into their characters' heads than other books that I had read, and it was just something I wanted to try to do, so that's when I started writing. That is really funny so until then you had never even thought about writing or it was kind of like a distant idea that you never actually thought you'd pursue it's funny when I was younger in high school and stuff I might write a little poetry like everyone writes bad poetry in high school but my degree is in speech therapy so I went to college I got my bachelor's and my master's in speech therapy because one thing my dad told me was you need to get a degree or some type of accreditation so that you can get a job because you can't live in our house forever so (laughs) that was you know step one get something where I'm employable. So if I would have said I want to be a writer, I'm pretty sure he would have said no to that. So now I am a speech therapist, but I just was always, I read a ton. And like I said, those books just spoke to me. And that was just made me think I could try to do this. Wow. And then the other question would be, why were you reading young adult in the sense, why did you even know those books had come out? What were you tracking that you had known that? At that time, we had a Borders in my town, Borders Bookstore, which is sadly gone. And so I would go there and just kind of walk around and look for things that were intriguing to me. And I always liked different paranormal things. And I think I just picked up the Rochelle Mead book and read it and it just kind of went on from there. So once I found one book in that genre that I liked, I kept reading more of it. And I have read a ton of science fiction and fantasy and I still enjoy that. But with the YA, you just get so much deeper into the character's head. I related more to them or you just feel more strongly for those characters for some reason. And maybe it's because YA is a tumultuous time where people are trying to figure out their lives. So when you read that, you kind of get to go along for the ride. Yeah. So not as a blanket rule, but are you saying that a lot of the YA that you were reading had more focus on the character versus the plot, which the adult novels were focusing a little bit more on plot than on character? But that's not sort of what you're saying. That is an interesting way to put it because I've always felt like I come up with characters first right. and then I figure out the plot. And so maybe that is what attracted me to those is because the characters were so strong. And basically I would keep reading through the series to find out what happened to the characters more so than the different plot points. I guess. 
Okay, so we're in 2007-ish and you decided to start writing. How did you even like come get an idea or like how did you even start at that point? I don't know. I just kind of sat down and I thought there were tons of shifter books out there. There were tons of werewolves and there were tons of vampires. And because then, of course, there was Twilight and all that stuff. Right. So there are lots of vampires, lots of werewolves, lots of stuff. And I knew I wanted to write something that was a shifter that maybe had not been done so much before. And I was a huge fan of the Dragonlance series. It's a huge fantasy series with probably like a hundred books in it oh, different wow. authors and I liked the dragons in those books but the dragons were never really the main characters you never really got to you know they were always a side character or even if they were in the book more it wasn't their story so I was thinking I want to write a shifter I've always liked dragons and I wanted to write something where the men and the women could be equally strong because in real life it sucks that I'm five foot two and I cannot move a dresser by myself <laughs> and you know I, just, I try as I might it doesn't work I a puny little human it does not work for me so I liked that if I made dragon shifters that the men and the women could be equal in strength and that they would have the same magical powers oh that's interesting so how long once you finally sat down and you're kind of debating your idea what happened till publication then well I looked around for writing groups in my area and I found online there was a Missouri Romance Writers Association and RWA was a huge organization and I started to go to those meetings just to learn about writing craft even though that's not technically what I was writing right. and I looked and at that point we did not have an SCBWI anywhere near me thankfully now I do in the town that I'm in so I kind of shifted away from the RWA and I attend the SCBWI meetings but I went to those meetings and I joined a critique group from hell where basically you would have to read what you brought out loud and oh, then wow. you could not respond and they would just like shred it. Oh, wow. It, it was painful, wow. but I learned a ton. So that was a very good thing to do. And then I started entering contests because, you know, back in the day, ebooks were not yet a thing. So there was really no self publishing at that time except vanity publishing, where you pay someone like thousands of dollars to put your book out for you. So I started entering contests because that was one way to make contact with an agent. And actually, my book, Going Down in Flames, the first one in the Going Down Flame series. I won several contests with it and I had a couple requests for foals, but nothing ever really happened. People would say, we like this, it's funny, but we don't know how we would sell it because it, it didn't really fit in any perfect little genre niche for them at that time. And then finally I entered a pitch contest online and I think this was probably around probably like 2010 or something and an editor was one of the people who judged the pitches and she liked mine and asked me to send her a partial and then to send her a full and this was also back in the day where you mailed it you oh, printed oh. it out put it in the box and sent it off and you didn't hear back for like six months to a year so yeah so the internet is such a glorious thing that that <laughs> does not happen anymore yeah. but yeah took a long time to make that happen so I finally heard back from them I want to say in like probably 2012 and it took till 2014 that my book came out okay just because that's kind of how it ended up working. And I'm published through Entangled Publishing. There was an editor there that had liked my book and I kept sending stuff to her and she kept getting back to me and they finally purchased it. And then in 2014, that came out and I've been publishing fairly steadily with them since then. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read all your books, but I've, like, I've looked into them. You've got, what is it, like 15? You got a lot of, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think there's 13 now. You've written and published 13 books in less than 13 years. Yes. Amazing. Good for you. Yeah. Fantastic. So originally you got in touch with Entangled with these contests. 
not through an agent. It's because of the contest that you got in touch with the editor and then you were working directly with the editor. Correct. That's interesting. And have you had the same editor for all of your books so far? The very first lady that I worked with ended up, I think, moving and going to work with someone else. But then she was like the assistant editor and then her editor that is someone that I worked with her on the first book, like she oversaw it. And then she became my direct editor after that. So I've been working with Erin Malta through Entangle Publishing for years. Wow. So you're basically at the point where you just send, if you have a new book, you're just like, hey, Aaron, I got this. What do you think? Or not really? Um, no, unfortunately, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was kind of funny because they offered to buy a book. You're like, yay, someone bought my book. And you go through the whole publishing thing. And then you have an idea for another book. And so you send them a letter going, I would like to do this. And you get a response going, mm, no, we don't think that'll sell. And you're uh. like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm magical. Yeah. Everything I write should sell, you know. But no, it doesn't work that way. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the eye-opener of the real world of what they think they can sell and you know what's in and what's not and so I have ended up writing I have the paranormal YA but then I also have some contemporary rom-coms some humorous stuff that takes place in real world setting so it's kind of nice because then if like paranormal YA is not in I can normally sell them a YA rom-com and vice versa but those are all with Entangled though anyway yes so that's, that's actually interesting because all of your books have strong romantic elements to it, but you said when you originally went to the romance writers groups, it wasn't because you're specifically writing romance, you just meant like not romance as the main subject, but not, not romance as like a subplot. Yeah, I kind of think like my stuff is more like a, what you think of like the Going Down in Flames books, the five original books, they are more like, here's a girl, she's dropped in a magical world, fish out of water, she goes on an adventure. And then of course, because she's a high school girl, there are love interests and there is romance mentioned throughout the book. So it's part of the plot, but the adventure is more the main plot. But then the Starcross Dragons is more just a romance. I don't want to say just, that sounds like I'm judging. It is more a straightforward romance because it's a story of how her parents got together. So it's more about them finding each other and falling in love. And my romantic comedies are basically, they call them category romances, because basically it is the story of these two people, the main characters, the boy and the girl, and it's from his point of view and her point of view. And you go back and forth. And when you pick up one of those books, you know the characters are going to get together at the end. But the fun is seeing how they get there. And I also just like to write. I like to put a lot of humor in it to make people laugh. So I would say those are definitely more straightforward romances. But laughing is a big part of the thing. Right. So for the category romances, is there not like a template they're just following of, okay, we have these two people. We know that they're going to meet. So there has to be one misunderstanding, one big misunderstanding, one moment of like is, is there not that sort of thing that you just have to just plug in like a different city and different names into or are you approaching um, it a totally different like new story new everything now, for romance, it typically has to be two people who meet each other, and at first, they don't think they're good to be together. Or, like, Black Male Boyfriend is about an honor student who she go shows up at school, and she finds out the school hottie is telling everyone that they slept together over the weekend. And she's like, okay, you know? So she goes to confront him, and it turns out the girl he slept with gave him a different name because she didn't want her boyfriend to know that she cheated on him. And so the main character then blackmails the school hottie into being her boyfriend to save her reputation because she doesn't want people to think she just goes out and hooks up with random guys. So he pretends to be her boyfriend for a certain amount of time. They debate how they're going to make this work. And then, of course, by the end, they end up falling in love. 
Right. Which is also similar to a lot of teen films that are like that also. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here's the other question. So you're going down in Flame series is five books. And then you have Star-Crossed Dragons, which is a prequel, which is one book. And then uh-huh. when we spoke at the panel, you were talking about how maybe you're thinking about doing more books in that universe. Yes, I want to write them in college, basically, because the part of the Dragon School they go to, you go when you're 16. So you basically go for your junior and your senior year. And then you still go there for college. So it's all lined up right there. So that way I can go ahead and write their story like from freshman year of college till she graduates with a bachelor's or a master's and then maybe even on from there. I don't know. But the next step is definitely to write something with them in college. So here's what I've always wondered about. You have the authors who either they might have several books in a series or authors with multiple series. And then you have the authors that like stand in their universe for forever, which mm-hmm. I sort of understood that when I did a five book series and I saw like, wow, there's so many characters, so much to tell. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, but I also want to be writing something else. So mm-hmm. what's your sense now that you're like, is it just because the fans are looking for this? So we're just going to keep writing it? Or you're like, you know, I'm actually curious to see what will happen with her. So that's why I want to write what's, you know, the college years or what's, what's the thought process here? Well, I have other universes. I have a book called Demon Bound, and it is about a girl who's a bookworm who ends up collecting souls for a demon. The name of the town is Crossroads, and she doesn't realize that it's literally full of Crossroads demon. And it's a town that has, like, vampires and all this other stuff in it. So I have that other world that I can write in, because in one way, I was having a hard time letting go of the dragon world, because you get so involved in it. But then I also wanted to branch out, and when I wrote Demon Bound, I was kind of trying to do, like, the television series Supernatural combined with like the television series the vampire diaries so just kind of like that i loved both those shows and i wanted to pull elements from those shows and put them in a book so i came up with that and it's a lot i would say it's darker than the going down in flames books but then i have also branched out now and i'm writing a paranormal mystery where the characters are not actually ya it's a woman who's 25 who receives in the mail something saying that she's inherited something from an aunt who died and she's saying she's never met this woman but then she finds out that every summer her mom took her to this town to be with her aunt and everyone in this town has like magical gifts or they're witches and she is part of that bloodline so she's learning to control her gift but then they remove her memories when she goes back out to the real world so it's not till the aunt dies that she realizes for 25 years every summer she's gone and stayed with this woman and learned all this stuff and then doesn't understand why certain things are happening so I I tend to do a lot of drop a person in a magical town fish out of water books because then that way the readers learn about the town and the universe through the character learning about it so you don't have to like lay out all the rules for the town and the people and what everyone's powers are if the if it's a fish out of water thing the main character learns it as you go along and then that just seems a more natural way to get the information to the reader so that seems to be something that i tend to do Oh, that's an interesting, I guess you could say trick to use. Because you always have to worry about information dumps when it's a new world or new. Oh, very good. Is that also going to be entangled that you're working with them? I might actually try self-pubbing this. I've always wanted to try self-publishing, and I've just not had an occasion to yet. But I thought, well, this is a little bit of a departure from what the stuff that I've sold entangled because the people are adult age. So I thought maybe I'll try putting this out on my own, and then depending on how it does, then I could try to sell some stuff to them too. I'll definitely be looking to try to sell the college dragon books to them. Right. But if they, I'm not sure what time frame they would have for that. But hopefully they would want those too. 
So that's interesting because I've, I've actually heard of a lot of authors between very, very well established and the beginning of the entire range of authors that a lot of them specifically turn to self-publishing, either if it's some sort of pet project that they don't want to give to somebody else or, you know, everybody's got their reason for it. So you said you always want to try self-publishing. What's the thought here that that's like calling you to it? Well, part of it is I like to write ensemble casts where it's the main character and her two best friends and then someone's brother and this person. And I guess like kind of have a bigger world with more people in it. And Entangled, or at least my editor, that's not necessarily what they want because it's easier for the reader if you don't put in everybody and his brother. They call that like the cast of thousands thing, like you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to just keep it only as many characters as you need. But I wanted to try to write something with more characters in it with a different way. So that's part of the reason that I wanted to try self-publishing. And also just because so many traditionally published authors are also becoming hybrid publishers. They're still publishing with their publisher, but then they're self-publishing because it just gives you a little more creative freedom. It lets you maybe just try new things that your editor at your publishing house would not necessarily want you to do. Oh uh, yeah, that's a good point. And then is this already adult and not new adult or it's a, or what is it? Both? Yeah, it's weird to talk about yet like, when you say adult, people are like, oh adult. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, not that kind of adult. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I meant. But um yeah. I don't New adult tends to be, I think, like college age, I guess. Yeah. I've not really picked anything up that said it was specifically new adult. So the character in this book is 25, and I had to make her four years into her career, but still young enough where she would maybe want to go back to her job. Because most people, if you found a magical town where she inherits a house that cleans itself, it grocery shops, and the food arrives in the refrigerator, the stove cooks the food, it's all these wonderful things. Yes. And if you were, you know, if you're middle age, you're going to be going, heck yeah, I'm leaving my life and going, I've been cooking dinner for 20 years. I'm tired of this stuff. But someone who's 25 would still be torn between wanting to leave their old world and wanting to go do all that stuff. So I felt like I had to make her young enough that she still would maybe consider turning all that wonderful stuff down. Um, I do want to know where there's houses because I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's very nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's like new adult. They try to make it like a genre and then it was was sort of supposed to be college-ish age but then it ended up just being like a lot of romances so sometimes they'll put new adult into young adult and sometimes they'll push it up so it's kind of this like I, I don't know it's like a floating category almost but I yeah. guess 25 is already I mean if adults are reading young adult college kids keep reading adults obviously so yep everybody reads up so yeah that's true and especially if you're an avid reader you're gonna be looking for something else so mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point are you still reading a lot of the young adult paranormal is that still like a big genre for you to be reading now I have lately been reading Paranormal Mysteries just because that's what I'm trying to work on right now. Typically, I read mostly all the paranormal YA stuff as I was writing that because it has a certain voice to it compared to other genres. And I found the Paranormal Mystery voice is very similar to the YA voice because it's a lot of banter, a lot of sarcasm, a lot of what the heck has happened to my life moment, (laughs) you know, people trying to figure things out. And so I've been reading more of that. I didn't even ask this, but like, what even drew you to paranormal to begin with? Have you always been the vampire person or like, or what? Yeah, I have always loved paranormal, magic, anything, anything that was different from everyday life. Because I mean, we have everyday life here. So it's kind of nice to go to something where it's a magical academy where you can learn stuff and having different powers. And my husband and I laugh because he's like, okay, I'm going to see if I can remove the remote control with my mind. Let's see if it works this time. Yeah. Uh, 
probably not. It hasn't worked the last thousand times, but give it a shot. You know, yeah. think, maybe, maybe I don't have to get off the couch and grab the remote. Maybe I can move it with my mind. Right. But it does yeah. not end up working. It never works, right? It just never uh-uh. works. Well, so then do you see a distinction between paranormal and fantasy that specifically paranormal calls to the fantasy doesn't? Or is it just this is where you ended up? I think fantasy, if you're talking about high fantasy, like elves and gnomes and you're on a different planet and like the Dragonlance books, there's knights and there's mages and they're going on adventures, but they are kind of long and drawn out and kind of a slower pace. And it's more, to me too, it seems you're in this person's point of view in one chapter, the next person you're in that point of view, the next person you're in that point of view. And I like to stick with one or two people's points of view. So I think the fantasy typically is more, I don't want to say literary but it seems to be more descriptions more narrative more in-depth of that particular world because that's what people want in fantasy they want to know about the crops that are grown on this planet (laughs) and what the different people do whereas with paranormal you're like okay there's vampires ready set go you could just drop people in and they just run with it so right so it almost takes like the otherworldly aspects but like can keep it here without having a whole to yeah yes without having to get into all the planetary stuff because most of the paranormal takes place in the real world and there's just these little magical things going on here that we don't know anything about as opposed to having to create an entire planet or solar system with all these people on it. Right. And even for that with the YA versus the adult kind of fantasy, see, it's also funny to say adult fantasy. Like, no, no, not that kind of adult fantasy. <laughs> not that kind yeah. of adult fantasy. <laughs> but even with that, you'll see a lot that the YA books, you can get your thousand people cast in the adult fantasy genres. And they're, they're like, they're naming people that they just walk by on the street and they've got a name. And it's a made up name that, you, that you're not going to remember because uh-huh. it's a made up name. And because you're not seeing the character again, they walk by them on the street. But YA tends to also narrow that down so you don't have to remember 14,000 names and not these big long epics so you get like the fantasy fix without having to deal with everything else like these thousands and thousands of pages of that anyways so I read the Starcross Dragons book which of course I read it for for the panel that we did but I just wanted to because I thought about this afterwards I was like oh I should have mentioned this at the panel but now that you also mentioned it that you're talking about how you wanted them to be able to shapeshift into creatures where female and male dragons would be equally strong and terrifying and all that sort of stuff but one of the things that you did that was interesting because in your world, you have this sort of dragon hierarchy with different colored dragons. Each one's got their own kind of power and place. So you have the blue class as the high class, but it's specifically in the blue class that tends to have, they're like very stuck in their traditional roles where the men are calling the shots and the women are not. Yes. Yeah, the other colors didn't seem to have as much of rigid structure like that. Like your green dragons don't seem like that. It seems like anyone who can reason could be part of the green dragons. It didn't seem mm-hmm. like... So what was funny about that was... So Sarah's engaged to be married to this guy. I still think she should have bit his head off, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, she can't run away because then he could have an, quote unquote, an accident or something could occur and then she'd be dead or he could put her in an insane asylum because that's the way it works in the blue dragon world. But one of the things that was interesting is that there was some sort of like thing that he did that would have brought like embarrassment upon himself. Self. I don't know if it was when he like challenged Ian in the gym or something. Maybe that's when it was. But uh-huh. she speaks to her mom and her mom was like, oh, we have this like women's league, which she always thought was sewing and eating cookies. And it's because we have to patch everything up to take care of all the mistakes that the men make. So she's like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to create a massive distraction. And everyone's going to talk about this. No one's going to talk about that anymore. When I was looking at that, I was like, that actually proves that the women in a way are actually pretty powerful. Because if they can redirect the men's attention like that, an entire clan, I don't know if that's what you're sort of going for or not. But I kind of saw that. I was like, that's, I mean, I don't like the other thing with the insane asylum, but that's 
not bad to be secretly the ones in charge. Or is that mm-hmm. not what it is? Yeah, I like that because our world is still a lot of patriarchal societies and I really liked that a lot of times the women get things done in a different way. A lot of times men stand up and beat their chest and make their pronouncements and in the blue clan, the dragons, you know, the men think they're in control of everything and they pass all these laws and they tell all the other clans what to do and not do and then the women just kind of quietly come in and they fix things and get things done and just make things nicer for everybody with without drawing the men's attention to what they're doing so that the men can keep their egos high and do what they want to do. And I kind of think in the real world, women are the ones that kind of come in and go, oh, that didn't work. Well, let's try this or let's try that. And that men are the ones that typically go straight forward, like I'm going to try it this way. And then if it doesn't work, then the women seem to be the ones that come in and like kind of help and move things around. And then together they can figure things out. Right. It was almost like this oddly positive thing. It was stuck in this not positive situation. I remember when I read that, I was like, okay, these women have things under control. The men can pretend like they're in control, but they are not. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't want to tell them that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so we always wrap up with the fill in the blank of, I love it when writers, publishers, agents, books, series, stories, whatever, do X, and I really don't like it when they do X. So how would you fill in the blank for that? Oh, I love it when writers make me laugh. I love to read books that are maybe just kind of irreverent things that make me laugh. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the banter. And so any book that I can find that has banter in it that puts a smile on my face, that's what I want to read because there's enough sad stuff in the real world. I don't want to read the book about the kid dying of cancer. That does not work for me. I know other people like it. It's cathartic. But for me, I want to read something that's just going to make me laugh. And then the thing I don't like when writers do is when you're reading a series and they change the main character in the next book yes okay i got follow-ups on both of those yes for they change the main character but do you mean because sometimes they'll do they change the whole main character set like let's say you have one pair in the first book and then the second book you're still continuing the story but now you're following the second pair even though you're still in the same world same story or just in general just don't touch the main character well like trying to remember who it was let's see well i think it was uh Rochelle me the Vampire Academy books, the first set of books are all in this one girl's point of view. She's the main character. You see everything through her head. Okay. And then I thought she was continuing the series, but then I read the next book and a different character had become the main character. And it was all from her point of view now. And the first main character was gone. Okay. So basically, if they move on and have someone else the main character and it's their point of view you're seeing, I understand it's in the same world and that you're keeping people in the world that way. But, like, I don't think I would ever write a Going Down in Flames book that wasn't in Bryn's point of view because it's basically her world. So if I wrote a book and had someone else as the main character, I think that would annoy readers. Interesting. So not like Ender's Game and and Ender's Shadow sort of thing. Or do you read Ender? A lot of people have read Ender's Game, but not Ender's Shadow because that's... Yeah, I haven't haven't read the second one. Right, so that's B, but that's a second companion. That's officially a companion. So you see the first book, it's Bean, one of the little guys on the crew, his name is Bean. So Uh you see him and he's watching Ender. So you have a lot of like what's going on with Ender, but it's almost as if it's from a different viewpoint, but it's not considered part of the same series though. It's a companion Uh series. So is that still also part of the same don't like? Well, if I knew it was a companion book rather than they called it part of the series, I think I would be okay with that. Right. Because this happened, I was reading this one series that the first book was fantastic. And then the second book, they didn't change the main character, but they brought in two more points of view that also I felt validated when I saw other reviews were like, why did he do this? He's a good writer, but we don't care about these other characters. We're following him. That's why we're here for the series. We're here for him. Yes. 
Yeah, okay, very good. Yeah, okay. And then when you said with the humor and because I know your books are described usually as being snarky and stuff like that. Is that something that's a concerted, I don't want to say a concerted effort. That sounds like, I don't want to say like, oh, I'm trying to put it in or is it just, okay, when you go for banter, just let them sound like a teenager and be a little bit obnoxious or snarky or whatever because that will be more fun than just writing regular dialogue. Or Does that question even make sense? You're asking if I put snarky banter in my books on purpose? Well, do you have to think about putting in the snarky humor or is it just if I just think like a teenager it comes out as being snarky? Sometimes it comes out as being snarky, but then a lot of times the way I write is I will maybe one day sit down and write like 2,000 words and then the next day when I come back to write, I reread maybe the last 500 words and before I start the next section. Right. And so in the last 500 words, or if basically if I've just started, I'll go back and reread the whole thing until it gets to be too long to make that manageable. But so I'll reread it and I'll look for points to where I can make things funny or where I can put in some snarky dialogue instead of just like a yes no response. So I do kind of go back in and find places to layer it in. Right. But a lot of times when it is just with a teenage boy who's a smart aleck, you can pretty much find, you know, opportunities to layer that in pretty well. Is there any sort of, I don't want to use the word rule, but sort of rule for that? Because a lot of times we'll say what makes humor effective is that it's surprise right because oh I didn't expect you to be saying that so that's what made that funny so does snarkiness sort of have that kind of anything like that or it's just like if you have the snarky gene you've got it mm -hmm. I don't know. I think basically uh, sarcasm is something that, you know, we are fluent in sarcasm at my house. <laughs> I grew up in a house where there was lots of sarcasm. So that kind of thing just kind of flows out of me, I think. Right. Okay. So it's almost when you go back, you're like looking for the moments that you almost set up for it to be there. And then you got to go back to, then you're kind of going back to plug it in. Like yes. Ah, oh, very good. Okay, great. Well, Chris, thank you so much. It was so great to speak with you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author Chris Cannon. To find out more about Chris and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word podcast and all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram. Check us out at eltenabam.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.